Well, I want to say good morning to you, and I don't mean to start this on a downer, but let me just kind of tell you to count your blessings. I just got off the phone with a man that loves Jesus as much as anybody I've ever known, served on staff with me at another church. And uh, he's hurting today because his son, uh, Friday night, took his own life. And uh, what he said to me on the phone just a moment ago as we were praying together and weeping together was, Pastor, I want you to know God's grace is sufficient. And I want to just be honest and tell you, I don't know how people make it without Jesus. You can call me a wimp if you want to. You can call me a baby if you want to. I, wouldn't, I couldn't make it a, a moment of my life without Jesus Christ. Couldn't do it. And that's what we're really here to talk about uh, in a way today. I want to thank uh, those who are watching online, those who are watching by TV, those at our Mill Creek campus, good morning to you, those at our Sugarloaf campus. For technology, it's Apple. For search engines, it's Google. For social networking, it's Facebook. For airlines, it's Delta. For online retailers, it's Amazon. For quick-serve fast-food restaurants, it's Chick-fil-A. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the brands that people feel the most loyalty to. And I'm not making those up. These companies are just some of the winners of the Brand Keys Customer Loyalty Engagement Index, which means they have the highest customer retention rates in their respective industries of everybody. More people keep going back to these companies and their industries than any other company. And it's a very crucial metric because business, business executives are watch, watch these things religiously because here's what business people know. Nothing tops customer loyalty for building a business. Nothing tops customer loyalty for retaining a business. And loyalty is not just crucial for businesses. Loyalty is crucial for friendships. It's crucial for marriages. It's crucial for the military. It's crucial for a nation. We're in a series, if you are a guest of ours today, we're in a series that we're calling Mirror Image. And what we've been saying is, imagine you had a mirror that you could stand before, and it wouldn't show you what you look like on the outside. It would show you what you look like on the inside. What would you see when you look in that mirror? In other words, without the pretense, without the makeup, without putting on the front, when nobody's looking, what kind of character would you see? Now, we've listed three building blocks that go into the house of character. We've talked about integrity, right? That's doing what you say you'll do. We've talked about honesty. That's telling the truth at all times. We've talked about humility, understanding what you are and understanding what you're not. But today we're going to talk about a trait that I believe is seen less and less, but is needed more and more, and that is loyalty. When we hire new staff people in our church, one of the first things we talk about, one of the first things I talk about is loyalty. One of the things I've learned that builds chemistry in a staff, if, 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 if my staff knows I've always got their back, and if I know they've always got my back, then there, there's something about that that just really brings cohesiveness and brings people together. And there is a book in the Bible that has both as its title and its main character, a woman by the name of Ruth. Neither of which, by the way, the book would not be in the Bible. And we'd never hear about this woman named Ruth had it not been for one thing, her incredible Loyalty. So if you brought a copy of God's Word, we're in a book called Ruth today. It's easy to find. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I keep telling Joshua not to do that, but he does. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We're in the book of Ruth, chapter one. Now, you, some of you just got that. Okay, that's all right. Now, listen. Ruth is one of the greatest love stories, not just in the Bible, but in history. Movies have been made about this story. Novels have been written about this story. Books have been authored about this story. But there would have been no love story to talk about and write about had it not been for Ruth's incredible loyalty. But here's the greater shock. This is a story of the loyalty of a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. Now, uh, for those of you who may be single, it's hard to understand the in-law dynamics until you either have one or you become one, okay? You just don't really understand till you get into that situation. And I would be less than honest if I didn't tell you in my ministry, I've heard enough in-law stories that make me think that in-laws ought to be outlawed, okay? I mean, I've, I've heard some really bad stories. You know, comedians, as you know, have made fortunes off of in-law jokes. In fact, I, I was reading the other day about a magic show and, and where after one particularly amazing trick, somebody screamed out from the audience to the magician, how did you do that? And the magician replied, well, I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. And the voice came back and said, well, would you tell my mother-in-law? So, you know, there's all kinds of jokes about mother-in-laws. And I just want to say, by the way, she may be watching this down the road. Uh, many many in-laws get a bad rap, and I just want to say, I could have not, not have asked ever for a better, sweeter, finer father-in-law and mother-in-law than God gave me. I mean, I hit the jackpot, and my father-in-law's in heaven, but my mom-in-law watches me every Sunday. So, Mom, I want you to know, Leaner, I love you with all my heart. I hit the jackpot with you. And I can also tell you that every time I read the story of Ruth, it makes me love my wife even more because my mother was a Ruth, uh, my, my wife was a Ruth to my mom. She really was a Ruth to Naomi because she really was not a daughter-in-law to my, my, my mom and my dad. She really was a daughter. Now, the book of Ruth, the interesting thing is it's really, really, really very short. The entire account only takes up 85 verses in the entire Bible, and it's just about ordinary people living ordinary lives, having ordinary problems just like you and just like me. And the story's so simple. It begins with three funerals, and it ends with a marriage and the birth of a baby. That's the story. There are three funerals at the beginning. At the end, there's the, a marriage and the birth of a baby. But when you read the entire story of the Bible, here's what you're going to learn. It was no ordinary baby that was born. It is a story that will take you from the agony of defeat to the thrill of victory. And it will make you appreciate your family more, your friends more, your future more, your faith more than ever. Now, let me just give you the simple story. You got two Israelites, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. They have two sons, Malon and Chilion. They live in Bethlehem, but there's a problem. There's a great depression going on, and people are losing job, and there's jobs, and there's no place to work, and, and people can't make ends meet. So Elimelech decides he's going to pack up. He's going to, you know, pack everything he's got. He's going to go to the land of Moab because he hears the economy's better. There's work to be had over there. So he packs up his entire family, and he decides they're going to go to Moab. Well, soon after they get to Moab, Elimelech dies. His two sons, in the meantime, marry two Moabite women. One name is Orpah, not Oprah. 
Orpah, and the other one's name is Ruth. Well, after about 10 years, the two sons die. So now you've got Naomi, Elimelech's wife, who's now left with two daughters-in-law. Her husband is dead. Her two sons are dead. And in that culture, this is a completely impossible situation because there's no way that three women, particularly widows with no children, no relatives, in a time of famine, can can survive very long. So Naomi, who is a beautifully sweet, as you're going to see in a moment, wonderful mother-in-law, she actually proves to be more of a mother than a mother-in-law in what she tells her two daughters-in-law. She has heard from her relatives back home, things are better in Bethlehem. So she intends to go back. But for reasons that you're going to see in just a minute, it would not be a good thing if those two daughters-in-law went with her. It would be too dangerous because for two Moabite women to go to a country where they were not welcome is just not a good thing to do. Plus, Naomi knows you'll have a lot better chance of meeting another man. You'll have a lot better chance of getting remarried if you'll stay where you grew up with your friends and your family, the people that you know, the people that love you, the people that care about you. So she basically says, I'm willing to go back alone. I'm willing to fend for myself. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about your welfare than I am mine. So why don't you stay back? Well, Orpah takes, up, takes her up on her offer. No, no, no criticism of Orpah, but she realizes her mother-in-law is right. She says, you know, you're right. I'll make it better here. So I, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna leave you. She hightails it back home. But Naomi does something that shocks. Ruth does something that shocks Naomi. She digs in her heels and she looks at her mother-in-law and she says something that, in fact, she says some words that have become so famous. They're now used in weddings. They're put on necklaces. They're put on rings. And they're one of the greatest statements and definitions of loyalty you'll ever find anywhere because the entire rest of the story of Ruth is going to hinge on what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. So listen to these words. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you are to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, if you want to know what loyalty sounds like, play those words over again. If you want to know what loyalty looks like, picture Ruth in your mind right now. If you want to know what loyalty smells like, let the aroma of those words kind of linger in the air. Because in that powerful statement, so strong, so powerful, I mean, so unbelievable that Naomi just basically shuts her mouth and realizes I'm fighting a losing battle. In that unbelievably powerful statement, she tells us four ways we ought to manifest loyalty in our own life. Number one, be loyal to your family. Be loyal to your family. 
Now, Ruth's loyalty began uh, where the seed of loyalty is always planted and fertilized and grown, and that is in your family. One of the first things you need to teach your children is to be loyal to your family. One of the first things you ought to teach your children, be loyal to your sister, be loyal to your brother. Sometimes I know you hate them, sometimes you want to kill them, but at the end of the day, they are your brother, they are your sister, be loyal to your family. So here's what Ruth says. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Now, let me just stop right there. If you don't know the story in the background, you may say, well, that's kind of nice. It wasn't just nice because it's extremely hard to imagine just how much those words are going to cost Ruth. Because remember, she's in the worst state any woman could be in thousands of years ago. She was not only not married, she had no children. In that culture, younger women who were widowed were encouraged to find a husband as quickly as possible. But Naomi is going to a country where she'll not, she'll not only be a foreigner, she'll not only be an immigrant, but because of her Moabite background, she will find it basically impossible to find any male that will want to marry her. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. And beyond that, if she did find a guy that wanted to marry her, he would be condemned because he would be Jewish. And she is a Moabite. He would be a believer in God. She would be a pagan. And this was a country that was at enmity with Israel. And she would be condemned for marrying a Jewish man. She'd be castigated for taking uh, uh, advantage of Naomi's hospitality. He would be shunned. He would be ostracized because how dare you? Can't you find a Jewish woman good enough to marry? Why do you, got, why do you have to marry a Moabite? So these words are costing Naomi far than you even realize. She's giving up everything to stay with her mother-in-law. She's giving up her country, her social standing, her friends, her relationships, her chances of ever remarrying, her chances of ever having children, all to spend the rest of her life with a woman she's not even physically related to and who will probably struggle to make ends meet. You say, okay, why would she do that? Because when she married Naomi's son, she said, in effect, you're not going to be my mother-in-law. You're going to be my mother-in-love. I'm not going to be a daughter-in-law. I'm going to be a daughter-in-love. And the point is, whether it is your mother or your mother-in-law, your brother or your brother-in-law, your sister or your sister-in-law, your son or your son-in-law, we should be loyal to our family. I, I tell my sons this all the time, my three boys, and they know this. In fact, I texted them the other day. I text them regularly. And I, I texted them, in fact, it was this past week, and I sent them a text, and I said, boys, I know you know your dad loves you, but just as a reminder, dad will always have your back. If you ever need anything at any time, anywhere, any place, there's one person you know you can always go to. You can always go to your dad. Because I want them to understand that loyalty to me is not an option. Loyalty is a family trait. They, they know, my three boys know, if the whole world walks out of our house, dad will walk in to our house. We need to be loyal our family. And by the way, there'd be a lot of families that get along a whole lot better if we would eliminate the in-law title and put the in-love title. I made up my mind when I married Teresa 43 years ago. I said the same thing. Your family will be my family. Your parents will be my parents. Your brother will be my brother. Your sister will be my sister. Be loyal to your family.
Number two, be loyal to your friends. Be loyal to your friends. Ruth goes on to say, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Then she says, your people will be my people. Now, she wasn't just talking about Naomi's family. She was talking about her friends because when she said your people, she meant, I mean the people you grew up with, the people that you went to school with, the people that you knew, the people that you were friends with. She said, mama, they will be my people. Because Ruth wasn't just a daughter in love to Naomi. She was her forever friend. Now, let me just stop because there's something important that you need to hear. And you need to teach your kids this. The one thing that separates your forever friends from your fair weather friends is loyalty. So don't, don't just, you know, don't, when you evaluate your friendships, don't just ask how fun they are when you're with them or how, they, how nice they are when you're with them, or how good they make you feel, or for goodness sakes, how many Instagram followers they have. Ask yourself this, is this the kind of person that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt will stand by my side when the bottom falls out and the electricity gets shut off and the diagnosis comes back terrible than you can imagine? Because when Ruth said these words to Naomi, Naomi knew that Ruth was more than just a daughter-in-law. She said, you know what? You really are a friend that sticks closer than a sister. Because see, you will never learn. If I've learned anything, you will never learn who your friends are in prosperity, ever. You'll learn who your friends are in adversity. And by the way, I've said this to you before, but I won't say it again. Something I have to keep reminding myself of. I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble today. No, none of us, including me, None of us has as many friends as we think we have. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself. By the way, for all you Facebook fanatics out there, and there are a lot of them, for all you Facebook fanatics out there, it's interesting to me, Facebook caps the number of friends anybody can have at 5,000. Did you know that? Facebook says you cannot have more than 5,000 friends. Can I let you in on a secret? Nobody has 5,000 friends. You don't have a 1,000 friends. You don't have 500 friends. In fact, if you ever exceed the limit, Facebook will send you a message that says, you have too many friends. I got news for Facebook, wrong message. The message they ought to send is, you have a lot fewer friends than you think you do because you really don't. You know, there's an old saying, you can't have too many friends, but the real truth is, Nobody has as many friends as they think that they do, but to those who truly are, to those that you know, these are my friends. Always be loyal to them. Always have their back. Always be there for them when they need you. I, I was reading uh, not long ago, I didn't know this, but about three months after the scandal with, with Bill Clinton broke when he was president, he was catching fire everywhere. Time Magazine celebrated the 75th anniversary uh, of their magazine. They had a big dinner in New York, and there was a crowd of more than 1,000 people that had been invited to the event. Well, Billy Graham was, was invited, and he was supposed to sit at a different table than, than, uh, than Bill Clinton. But when former Yankee great center fielder Joe DiMaggio found out he was sitting with the president, he actually sent a note to the committee and said, I don't want to sit next to the president. I don't want to be at the same table 
with the president. When Billy Graham found that out, Billy Graham sent a note and said, would you please give me the privilege and please give me the honor of sitting next to the president? Why did he do that? Because he was Bill Clinton's friend. So when Bill Clinton's approval rating was at its lowest, Billy Graham's loyalty rating was at its highest. And that's why he was such a great man. Great friends are great people. And great people are great friends. And great friends will always be loyal to you no matter what. So be loyal to your family. Be loyal to your friends. Now, before I put up the next thing, I want you just, you may not understand exactly what this word means, but I'm going to show you because this is so important. Be loyal to your faithfulness. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Ruth says, when you die or where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, let me tell you what she had just said to her mother-in-law. Here's what she said. I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to stay with you if it kills me, if it costs me my life. If it means we starve to death together, then we starve to death together. I am not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you. I'm going to live my life with you. And if necessary, I'm going to live my life for you. But whatever happens, I am not walking out the door. Where you live, that's where I'm going to live. And where you die, that's where I am going to die. She was literally making a promise of her own life. She was saying, in effect, Naomi, Naomi, you don't ever have to worry for the rest of your life. When we get to Bethlehem, if things get bad, if the fire gets too hot, if the food gets too low, I am not going to abandon ship. I am not going back to, Naab, to, to Moab. I am not going to turn my back on you. I am making a lifetime commitment, Naomi, that you'll never be alone and you'll never be abandoned. I am making a promise on my life, with my life, and I'm going to keep it till death do us part. She was so adamant about it. She said, may God deal with me severely if I ever walk out on you, if I ever run out on you, if I ever turn my back on you. And we need to learn to be loyal to our faithfulness, loyal to our convictions and what we believe, loyal to our promises and what we say we will do, Loyal to our lenders to pay what we owe. Loyal to keep our vows when we get married. Loyal to always stand for what is right and to stand against what is wrong. That's why I'm telling you, loyalty's missing. I, I took a vow this coming March, this next month or month after next. I took a vow 43 years ago. And I said to my wife, it will be till death do us part. And all, what marriage is at the end of the day, really, it's just being loyal to your vow. I made a vow. I'm going to keep that vow. I'm going to be loyal to my faithfulness. There were two men. This is a true story. There were two men. One was named Jim. One was named Philip. They did everything together when they were kids. They, they grew up in elementary school together. They went to high school together. They went to college together. They joined the Marines together. In World War II, they were sent to Germany where they, were, they, they fought side by side together. Well, they got into one particularly really fierce battle, 
And, and the commanding officer gave the command to retreat. Well, as they were treating, Jim noticed as he looked around that his friend Philip was not with all the other soldiers. So he ran to his commanding officer and he begged his commanding officer to let him go back after his friend. But the officer said, nope, you can't do it. It's the, the heat's too hot. The fire's too great. The bullets are too strong. You can't do it. If you do, you will be committing suicide. You cannot go. Well, Jim disobeyed his commanding officer. And with his heart pounding and bullets whizzing by and bombs exploding around him, he kept calling out for his friend, Philip, Philip, where are you, Philip, where are you? Well, a short time later, his platoon saw him staggering back across the field, carrying Philip's limp body in his arms. His commanding officer came running up to him. He was livid. Not only was he livid that he disobeyed orders, but livid because he had almost lost his life for nothing. And the commanding officer looked at him and he said, you risked your life for nothing. I told you, your friend was dead. There was nothing you could do. And Jim looked at his CEO and he said, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time. His commanding officer said, he's dead, son. And he looked back at his commanding officer and he said, yes, sir, he is now. But sir, before he died, his last words to me were, Jim, I knew you would come. Jim, I knew you would come. See, Jim and Philip had made a promise that no matter what happened, they would always be there for each other. They would never leave each other on the battlefield. They would never abandon the other in a time of need. Be loyal to your faithfulness. When you make a promise, be loyal to the promise that you made and be loyal to the person that you made a promise to. Be loyal to your family. Be loyal to your friends. Be loyal to your faithfulness. But I've saved the most important loyalty for last. As a matter of fact, if what I'm about to tell you is not true, the other three may not be true of you either. Because the last thing Naomi said she would be is be loyal to your faith. Now, the most important thing that Ruth says and, 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 and the most, most important words that comes out of her mouth is really about the most important loyalty you will ever have. Because your ultimate loyalty should not be to your family. Your lo ultimate loyalty should not be to your friends. Your ultimate loyalty should be to God. So Naomi says, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Now again, if you don't know the story of Naomi and you don't understand the background, you won't really get what she just said to her. Naomi was selling all out. She was going all in. And just in case Naomi really wondered, do you really mean this? Are you really being serious? Or you, you just don't really have any other place to go and you're just kind of doing this out of convenience. When she said these words, your God will be my God, Naomi knew you really mean business. Because Naomi was a Moabite. The Moabites actually came, if you know anything about the Moabites, let me just tell you about Moabites. They actually came from an incestuous relationship that a man by the name of Lot, who was the nephew of Noah, remember Noah in the ark? He was the nephew of Noah. He had an incestuous relationship with one of his daughters. 
the offspring of that relationship entered into paganism, began to worship false gods. Polytheism worshiped a lot of false gods. Eroticism, they used, they used temple prostitutes. They offered human sacrifices. They sacrificed their own children in their particular religion. And the Moabite culture epitomized everything that a faithful Israelite hated and a faithful Israelite despised. I mean, other foreigners, if you were, if you were an Egyptian, you, you could join the Israelites. If you were an Edomite, you could join the people of God. But there was a law that was laid down about Moabites, totally different. Listen to this. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation, for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor, and Aram Naharahim to produce, uh, pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Here was, here was the curse they were under. God had given a law to the, to the, to the Israelites for 400 years. Ten generations, no Moabite, no descendant of a Moabite could enter into the assembly of the Lord. So that time's already passed now, but here is a young woman who's got everything going against her, every reason to reject God. Her past is against her. She was raised in a pagan family, and she worshiped pagan gods. Her present was against her. All she had was a mother-in-law, no husband, no children, no income, no source of income. Her future was against her. She's about to go to a land and a people where her ethnicity was a curse word, where people would say to her, you understand you're a Moabite. This is Israel. You're not wanted here. You're not welcome here. There's a no welcome sign everywhere you look. You will not be invited to our homes. You'll not be a part of our society. You'll not be a part of our culture. We will not speak to you. We'll have nothing to do with you. You will be a curse word to us. You do not belong here. And yet she says, my God will be your God. And your God will be my God. And this is what I want you to understand. We're not told how it happened. We're not told where it happened. We're not told when it happened. But evidently living all of those years with a mother-in-law that loved God, the real God, the true God, the only God, who worshiped the one God, the true God, the only God, who loved the one God, the true God, the only God, evidently living with this all those years, Naomi's heart was touched. Her life had been radically changed. And she had made the decision to turn away from every other false god she had ever known and put everything on the line to worship the one true God. It is absolutely one of the most courageous confessions of faith you'll ever find in all of the Bible. Here's what she does. She leaves her hometown. She leaves her friends. She leaves her blood relatives. But, and, and, and all because of one thing. She now is a part of a new family, but it's not just a new flesh family. It is a new spiritual family, not just a physical family, but a forever family. See, the reason why Ruth couldn't leave Naomi, the number one reason 
is because, Mama, I can't go back to paganism. I can't go back to polytheism. And Mama, you may find this hard to believe, but now I understand blood may be thicker than water, but it's not thicker than God. And my real family is no longer my physical family. My real family is my faith family. I've come to know your God. I've forsaken the false God of the Moabites. I've given my heart to the true God. And to her, this is amazing, to her, her mother-in-law of faith was more family to her than the mother of her own flesh. And I just want to say this to you. You be loyal to your family. I, I do mean it. Be loyal as much as you can. But at the end of the day, the real family we're a part of is the family of faith, not the family of flesh. At the end of the day, that's what our real family is. Because you know why? The only family that will live together forever is the family of faith. I was talking to one of the men that go to our church. He's one of my guys I mentored, and his mother's not a believer, and his brother's not a believer. And, and he was asking me and, and talking to me about, you know, how can I reach my mom? I mean, his mom loves him. She loves, he loves her. She loves him, and they're very, very close. But she's just not having anything about Jesus. So we were talking this past week, and I said, uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you a thought. I said, uh, do you really love your mother? And he said, oh, I adore my mom. I said, does your mom really love you? And he said, oh, yeah, Pastor, my mom really loves me. I said, okay. I said, I want you to try something. She's about to retire, and he's going to go down to, to Florida where she lives and be a part of her retirement dinner. And I said, when you get along with your mom, I said, ask your mom a question. Say, Mom, do you really love me? I said, now, your mom is probably going to say, all right, how much is this going to cost me? And you need to let her know. No, it's not about that. But mom, how much do you really love me? And she's going to tell you what? And he said, oh, she's going to tell me she loves me as much as any mother ever could. She loves me just you know, more than anybody in the world outside of maybe my wife and my kids. And she loves me as much as anything. And I said, okay. I want you to tell her the same thing, that you love her with all of your heart. And then I want you to pop a question to her. He said, okay, what's that? Look her in the eye and say, Mom, do you love me enough to spend eternity with me? Because that's how much I love you. He said, wow, I've never thought about that. I said, let me tell you why. Because at the end of the day, when you draw your last breath, you'll find this out. Your real family was not your family of flesh. Your real family was your family of faith. And as much as you may love your family, as much as I love mine, the greatest family in the world you'll ever be a part of is the family of faith. So look what God does. God honors her loyalty. Because let me tell you the rest of the story. She does marry a wonderful man. She has a child in a culture that places more value on sons than it does on daughters. And you know what else she does? She actually wins the respect of all the women in Bethlehem because this is what they said to Naomi about Ruth. Listen to this. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. The greatest blessing of all was the son that she bore. Remember I told you about that little boy? That little boy's name was Obed. You say, who was Obed? The grandfather of David. 
who became the ancestor of Jesus. Oh, but that's not all. When you go to the genealogy of Jesus, go to Matthew and Luke. When you go to the genealogy of Jesus, you'll find four women mentioned in the family tree. There's Tamar. She was guilty of incest. Rahab. She was a prostitute. Bathsheba. She was an adulteress. And Ray, uh, 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 and uh, Ruth, who was a Moabite. The only Gentile in the whole list. The only one who came out of paganism in the whole list. But because of her loyalty, God used her not just to bear a son, but to change the history of the world. So I say all this to say this. Our God is a loyal God. No matter what you do, God will never turn his back on you. No matter how much you blow it, God will never walk out on you. No matter how bad you mess up, God will never pick up the rock and join everybody else that's throwing their rocks on you. Our God will never leave us and our God will never forsake us. Now, if you believe that, if you say, boy, you're right. I thank God I serve a God that's loyal to me, eternally loyal to me, totally loyal to me, always loyal to me, a God who will never turn his back on me, a God that will never leave me, a God will never forsake me. If you really believe that, then we owe it to him to be loyal to him. We owe it to him to be loyal to his church in worship. We owe it to him to be loyal to his church in service. Because loyalty means, let me tell you what it means. Loyalty means being here when you can be here, not being here when you don't have anything else to do. Loyalty means you serve whenever and wherever you're needed, even if you don't think it's your job. Because when we needed a Savior to die for us, you know what Jesus said? I'll be there. And now... We're living in a day when the church needs us more than ever before to worship this God, to love this God, to obey this God, to serve this God, to give all that we are to this God. And we need to be saying with all of our presence and with all of our passion, I'll be there. Lord, just as you're loyal to me, I will be loyal to you. Let's pray together.